guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks, guys. Now enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Hello. Hi. This is Melissa. This is CJ. And this is the Sisterhood, the sisterhood of, the of the Bottomless Mimosa. We rehearsed that. Woohoo! Okay. Welcome back, y'all. We did take a two-week hiatus. Um, we had some technical issues because we're not professionals and we don't know how to fix computers when they break. And I had a friend in town last weekend, so we took a two-week break, so thanks for hanging out and hanging in. Also, for people that don't believe in Mercury Retrograde, Mm. guess what? My laptop and CJ's laptop both broke during Mercury Retrograde. Yup. (laughs) So what you gotta say about that? So what? So what? Astrology's real. (laughs) Um... As always, subscribe, leave us reviews, and tell your friends, because we are a grassroots podcast still growing. However, our analytics are telling us that we are international. Woo! Yeah, baby. We apparently have a blossoming listener base in the Philippines. Raise the roof. So if you are listening to this from the Philippines, what's up, guys? Big fucking ups to y'all. We see you. We see you. And it's not just one. It's not just one of you. There's at least like three of you who are listening. So thank you. Thank you. Keep spreading the word out there. We also were kind of doubting our analytics, though, because there was one country that showed up as ZA, and I don't know what that is short for, but I'm pretty sure it's short for either Zanzibar or Zaire. (laughs) So if you are in Zanzibar, which I'm not even sure is real, or Zaire, which I'm also not sure is real, hi, like, we saw you, and thank you for listening. (laughs) And, oh my god, email us, guys. If you are not from the U.S., like, please email us and tell us where you're at. Also, just so that we can have confirmation that our podcasting host isn't fucking with us, if you are from the Philippines or any of the Z countries and you are, in fact, listening, let us know. Mimosasisterhood at gmail.com. Because otherwise we're going to fire our uh, podcasting host. I don't know. They're pretty cheap, so. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, do we have any, before we get into the wine review, any updates on life, etc.? Yeah, I didn't think I had anything, but then this just came to me. So um, this past Friday, I went to a little hippie show across the street from my house, one that I go to all the time. And before, or actually at, at the end of the show, the band noted that they one of their band mates had painted and created a piece of art and they had it printed out made into little posters and they passed them out for free at the show and due to the timeliness of a very sad goodbye that just happened recently Mm -hmm. 
Yes, Sister Aretha! We got these really cool Aretha posters, and they show, me. show her, they basically show her in, like, a very angelic outfit, and she has wings on and a halo, and it says her name in the sky, and then it says respect at the very bottom. Yes! How cool is that that they did this? Free! That's awesome. So, like, so cool. Yeah. Um, such a really thoughtful thing to do, and to have these made and painted and passed out for free and given out at this little hippie show, like... So cool. Yeah. So, yeah, shout out to Aretha. And unfortunately, she is on to happier angelic times. She looks pretty happy in this picture. She does. Um, But, yeah, so that was pretty cool. And kind of in in line with what we're doing here on the podcast. I know. When I heard about Aretha Franklin passing away, I was like, we got to cover her one day for sure. That's a a I'll leave that up to you since you're the the music guru. (laughs) The pop. The pop girl? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's really cute. I mean, I you know. that. That's awesome that they just gave those out for free. That's amazing. I know. Especially, like, you know, usually when people pass, that's when, like, everybody now finally has something to sell. Mm-hmm. And it's like, everyone's going to buy that shit up. And nope, free 99, just out of the kindness of their hearts. Right. Love it. Love it. Um, did anything cool happen when Jimmy came into town last weekend? Yeah, so, um... For those of you who have been listening for a while, Jimmy has actually been on one of our Mimisodes. He's an Aquarius that I often refer to as Jamiroqua. He's my best friend. He was visiting from Denver this past weekend. Um, did anything cool happen? Well, we didn't drink a lot because he doesn't drink a lot. So we got to do a lot of sober stuff. We went on a swamp tour. Ooh, which that's cool. If you, when you come back to New Orleans, we have to do that because it's really fucking cool. I think I've done one of those when I was a little kid and first went to New Orleans. And I remember they brought a little baby alligator on the boat. <gasps> on like the boat? little, like, like a foot long subway sandwich size. <laughs> Yeah, there were alligators, there were raccoons. Ooh, I hate raccoons. What? I, like, despise. They're, they are terrible creatures, but they're really cute. Oh, I think they're fucking disgusting. Okay, well, we'll leave that part out. I would punch out. one in the face. <laughs> uh, well, the alligators eat them, if that makes you feel oh, any better. Good. Uh, we saw a goat. There's a swamp goat. <laughs> Apparently that's a thing. So it was it was cute. And uh, yeah, we just kind of like... It's it's so nice to have people visit your town because it makes you realize how much you take it for granted when yeah. you're showing somebody a town for the first time and you're like, fuck, this place is so... Like, I love New Orleans. I'm very vocal about it. But every time someone new comes in, I love it even more. You yeah. know? It's like Did- introducing, like, your hot boyfriend to someone. You're like, wait, you are actually nice. Like, you're like, <laughs> I hate you every other day, but wait, you are kind of cool, <laughs> it turns out. <coughs> yeah, and I'm also, guys, I'm getting over a cold, so I might cough. Um, so that was cute. Fun. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, I was also thinking you need to come back soon. I know. And we can record an in-person episode. Yeah, we have a couple things we have to do. We have to, I have to go to New Orleans and we record, and then we also have to go to San Diego and record out of my friend Allie's bar when it opens. Oh, yeah. Oh, San Diego's so far. I know. We'll have to plan that in when we start making money. I like Sandy. I gotta say, I'm not a huge fan of SoCal, no offense, but I always did like San Diego. 
Well, and she lives in downtown, so it, like, I mean, it's obviously, I mean, it's a big city, so you don't have so much of that, you know, uh, surfs up bra thing going on. It's a little bit more, like, metropolitan, kind of classier hangouts, nice restaurants. You can catch, like, trolleys and shit. I, I like, it just makes you feel like you're a little bit more bouged up. For sure. It's, I was going to say, it's cleaner, than I feel like a lot of California is. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a big city in Southern California, but it's removed enough from the, like, 75 cities around Los Angeles that it's kind of its own standalone city. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll... Uh, damn it, I'll do it. One day. We'll One day. We'll figure it out. Okay, should we do the wine review? Is there anything yeah. else? No, I think that covers it on my end. Okay. I guess I can do it, or I'll start it. So I haven't been drinking that much, as listeners know, because I was drunk for all of July. But I decided to get back on the wagon today, and (laughs) my plan was to... Well, I did get drunk last weekend when Jimmy was in town, as one does, but just Mm -hmm. one day. And uh, my plan was to have a hot toddy today, because I've had a head cold, and that sounded really good while I was sitting in my air-conditioned house... But as soon as I got on my bike in the 90 degree heat of New Orleans to go to the store, I was like, fuck that shit. I'm getting white wine. It is way too hot for a hot toddy. So I got this cheapo wine. Oh, it was like 11 bucks from the from the corner store. It's called Route One. It's a Sauvignon Blanc from Chile. Um, And it's got way too many words on the front. And, like, a a tree with roots. And I gotta tell ya, no offense, but it's not. It's not so good. It's got, (laughs) it's got almost, it's got, like, a butteriness to it, like, Chardonnay kind of does. Yeah, so I'm watering it down with ice cubes, as I like to do. And I will, it's good, because I'm going second today, and it'll stop me from getting too fucked up before we get to my woman. So that's good. Um, Yeah, so that was, again, Route 1, Sauvignon Blanc. Chile 2017. Chile. Chile. Well, they need to figure out that butter problem of theirs. Mm-hmm. What you drinking? Um, I am drinking a winemaker's blend, mm-hmm. and it's called Apothic White. Yes. Have you had this before? I've heard of Apothic. I've had Apothic Red, okay. so I know it. Yeah. Okay. I like, especially if you and I are both choosing bottles based off titles and images will probably end up with a lot of the same bottles mm-hmm. um so i was kind of worried that maybe you'd already had this one but we haven't yet actually no but i almost bought one that you oh bought. right the tarot the prophecy one. the yeah. prophecy one yes um so yeah i just i just busted this out um a little bit earlier because i wanted to pre-game before the show and it's a little bit sweet mm-hmm like, it almost reminds me of a Riesling. Oh, that is very sweet. I know. And it's like, why the fuck do you have to do that? Like, if I want to yeah. drink Riesling, I'd buy Riesling. Yeah. Was it cheap? Is it cheap? No. And it, you know when you also buy from, like, the liquor store, they rank, like, crank that shit up, like, three times the price? Right. Ralph's. Yes. Yeah. So this is probably, like, $18. I'm sure it would have been 6 bucks at Ralph's. I bet you, I think that's what happened to both of us this week. We got shit at the liquor store, and it's like $4 wine, but they marked it up like 300%. (laughs) Fuck! Never again. I know. Um, But I'm I'm definitely probably going to kill this whole bottle. 
Like, it's not hard to drink. It's just not my preference. Oh, yeah. I'll 100% probably kill this tonight. Because like, <laughs> I don't fucking quit. Actually, that's a lie. I quit a lot. But not when it comes to drinking. <laughs> well, boo. I mean, boo on the wine review. I but know. we'll make up with it for it with our ladies because I know exactly. we're both excited. Yeah. On that note, let me take a big gulp. And get it, girl. Like, I don't even want to... <sighs> we're both making the biggest stink faces to our listeners. Now. <laughs> this is not cute. And yet we're drinking anyway. That's oh, yeah. How I'm not, dedicated we are to you guys. I'm not stopping. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. So I'm going up first. I'm like, okay, well, let me preface by saying that the woman that I'm covering today was recommended by one of our loyal listeners. Woo! I them or no? Yeah, uh, Andy Dominguez. Shout out to I believe you live in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Fort Lauderdale. (laughs) (laughs) I could be wrong, Andy. I know you're in Florida. I I think it's Fort Lauderdale. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Woo, Andy. Yeah. Um. Which Andy and I used to work together, and she was based out of New York. And um, now she's back home to the deep, dirty south. Woo! It's nice down here. And so it's super cool because, one, I love that, number one, um, women that I know are listening to the podcast. And number two, they are inspired to think of cool women that they've learned about or heard about and they want us to cover them, which is freaking awesome. And even cooler is the fact that I'd never heard of this person and I'm going to have to guess that most people have not. Um, The reason why... I mean, she's been resurfacing for a while, but the reason why she just most recently resurfaced and how Andy heard of her and how I'm covering her on the podcast is because a couple of weeks ago, she was featured on Google's Doodle page. Hmm. You know how they do that? Mm-hmm. Like when you go to Google search and they have some little thing you can click on? Yeah. She was featured. Okay. Because it was um, an anniversary of like something and so they were celebrating her on the page so anyway um today we're covering a woman that goes by the name gerda tarot she was a german jewish photographer who's considered to be the first female photojournalist to cover the front lines of war Mm. and also the first to die while doing so (gasps) oh my god I'm like sad but also really excited. Yes. So obviously it has a tragic ending. Um, but the reason why this woman is so special is because during the time period that she came to service as a photojournalist, um, being Jewish, um, and also being a female, she was underrepresented and she was sort of uh her, her fame was overshadowed by a particular man. Mm. So therefore, decades went by where she wasn't recognized. And now over a period of time, more historical information's been dug up. And now we're realizing, Gerda Taro, it was you all along. So I, I think people are trying to resurface her legacy and give her the recognition she always deserved. So that's why I'm super stoked to learn about her and be covering her today because... 
Um, you know, this is something that maybe never would have happened if it wasn't for people fighting to find out the truth. And so now here we are, 2018, talking about her on this feminist podcast. Yes, so fuck yes. This is legit. So um, Gerda Taro is not her real name. She was actually born Goethe, and I will not be able to pronounce this last name, but it's something along the lines of Poharil. So okay. that's her real name. Um, she was born in 1910 in Stutt- Stuttgart, Germany, to an upper-middle-class Jewish family. And in 1929, her family moved to Leipzig, Germany, which was a city that was growing like increasingly inhospi- inhospitable for Jews at the time that the Nazis were beginning to rise in Germany. So I think she was probably only about 10 or 12 by the time that they moved to this new town. Um, and once they made this move, she became much more political and she began supporting the left leftists instead of the Nazis. In 1933, as the Nazi party came into power, Gerda was arrested for distributing propaganda and campaigning against the Nazis. She spent one night in prison and it was noted that she was the only inmate wearing a dinner gown. (laughs) Keeping it classy, Gerda. Super classy. So in 1933, Adolf Hitler had been appointed chancellor. And due to her protesting against fascism, her entire family was forced to leave Germany. And they were forced to separate and find residence in other countries. Oh my god, how... How can you even do that? If they're out of the country, how can you... Fuck. Yeah. Fuck. Okay. So, Gerda headed for Paris, her brothers went to England, and her parents went to Palestine. She was only 23 years old at this time, and it would be the last time that she'd ever see her family again. Aww. So, in Paris, Gerda met a photojournalist named Andre Friedman, who is a Hungarian Jew. She became his personal assistant and began to learn a ton about photography through him, and eventually the two fell in love. So, in can, 19- I, can I be happy about that or no? I feel like I'm not supposed to be. I just have so many thoughts. Okay. So it's like it's like you almost have to like hear the story, okay. and then we discuss okay, okay, how okay, we okay, feel okay, about okay. it. Okay. So in 1936, Gerda and Andre began to concoct a career plan. Um, They were both photographers at this time because she had learned a bunch from him and had all this great skill set. And she'd actually even gone and gotten some type of certificate to make her like eligible to be a photojournalist. I don't think it was college, but it was some type of program. Um, But the two of them were Jews and they were in Europe in a time where like Nazis were coming to power and it like wasn't a good time to be Jewish. And so being that they were like this partnership in their career path they both decided that they were going to create alias names okay because they felt that if they did that it would help get them more jobs people would purchase their photographs um as long as they represented themselves as non-jewish people and so what they did was uh Friedman, her her boyfriend photographer, he ended up creating this like fake alias named Robert Kappa, who was an American photographer. And Gerda basically worked under Robert Kappa. 
So it was like Robert Kappa Productions, Gerda and Robert together. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, it, it worked. They, they sold a bunch of photo- like photographs. Everybody was buying up their shit. Like, they were really talented and they were really good. And all it took was being, you know, this American male in order to get that recognition mm. um, as, you know, photojournalists, what they were trying to fight for. And so she ended up also creating an alias, but not very different, because her name was Gerda already, but Gerda with a D. Mm-hmm. So then she changed it to Gerda with a T and added on tarot at the end. And so she still was being represented as Robert Kappa. So everything that she was making was going under that label. So, like, so wait, these, like her photographs weren't credited to her? Like no, they were shit? credited to Robert Kappa. What the fuck? Yeah. Why would she agree to that? Ugh, that hurts me. I mean, you have to wonder, 1933. Yeah. I'm not totally up to speed on what was happening with feminism in 1933. (laughs) I don't think it was good. Or careers of women in 1933. Or being an unmarried, you know, mid-20s woman, um, Jewish, during the rise of the Nazi rule. Like, I don't know what that's like so maybe in order for her to have that career and to be able to like be creative and produce these photos and actually have them out there in the public eye it took her labeling it as an american man's work sure okay so uh, that's just an assumption um i don't know so that's that's basically what was going on so uh, it turned out that the the alias was busted. People figured out, like, who the fuck's this Robert Kappa? Like, what the hell's going on? And it was all blown to shit, but, like, no one ended up caring. So they continued to, like, work under Robert Kappa, even though people knew it was a fake alias, and no one really gave a fuck because the photos were that great. Everyone was just like, meh, okay, moving on. And so... At another, I was reading this article, and a different photojournalist during the same time period named Eva Besnayo, I believe is how you'd say it, she actually did an interview with The Guardian magazine in regards to Gerda and Robert Kappa. And there was a quote that she said, what, which goes, Without Gerda, Andre would not have made it. She picked him up and gave him direction. He had never wanted an ordinary life, and so when things didn't go well, he drank and gambled. He was in a bad way when they met, and maybe without her, it would have been the end for him. Mm. As it is for most men. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, now you've inspired me to drink this shitty wine. (laughs) So, when the Spanish Civil War broke out in 1936, Gerda and Robert traveled to Barcelona to cover it as a team, and they were among the first on the scene together. They shot action side by side, and several of their images were published around the world. These photographs landed Robert Capa the title of the greatest war photographer in the world. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So a a year later, by 1937, Robert had become famous for his documentation of the war, and Gerda had began emerging as an independent photojournalist in her own right. So, like, basically after they took all those photos together of the Spanish Civil War and he got labeled the best photo- photographer of all time in terms of war photography. She was basically like, you know what? I'm over it. And so she started branching off of him. 
Good. And by the summertime, Gerda had attained full independence and was finally confident enough to make uh, photographic excursions alone. And that same summer, she also refused Robert's marriage of proposal and instead focused on her career as a solo photojournalist. Yes! Yes! Fuck that man! She began venturing off on her own and became publicly related to the circle of anti-fascist European and intellectuals such as Ernest Hemingway and George Orwell, who crusaded particularly for the Spanish Republic. Gerda was known as the Little Red Fox for her ginger hair and fearless spirit. She was often seen running across the battle lines with her camera. She drove... Uh, She traveled back and forth to the front lines, shooting what she saw, and was often driven by a mixture of humanity, political commitment, and the understanding of how her photographs could shape public opinion. Gerda had reported the bombing of Valencia alone and obtained the photographs, which are her most celebrated. Mm. She had visited a hospital and a morgue after the bombing, and her intimate shots of the injured soldiers would go on to inspire the deep contrast black and white aesthetic that photojournalists would use during World War II and and the Vietnam War. In uh, 1937, Gerda's photographs were in demand by the international press when she covered the Battle of Brunette near Madrid. When the national, uh, sorry, when the nationalist propaganda claimed that the region of Brunette was under its control, Gerda was the only photojournalist who fought her way to the location and discovered that the Republican forces had been removed. Her photographs were the only testimony of the actual situation. During her coverage of the Republican Army retreat at the Battle of Brunette, Gerda hopped onto the footboard of a car that was carrying wounded soldiers when a Republican tank crashed into its side and Gerda Gerda suffered critical wounds, dying the following day on July 26, 1937. According to the eyewitness account, she had been run over by a reversing tank, and she died from her wounds in an English hospital a few hours later. The tank driver did not realize what he had done. But, due to the vague nature of her injuries, many scholars have speculated that there may have been foul play at work. The details of what happened were obscure, and the accepted version of events had been stitched together from several accounts, some reliable and others not so reliable. Gerda also had personal links to the Socialist Workers' Party of Germany, and their connection landed her on the hit list of Joseph Stalin. Some believe the accident was not actually an accident. Fuck. So I'm assuming did other people die in it, too? I'm assuming they did. Um, well, she was, like, on top of a tank taking pictures in literally the middle of war. So what they're speculating is that somebody saw her on this tank and was like, I'm attacking her and killing her. And I don't know if the other people that were in that tank died also, but everybody that was on the same area that she was at were definitely injured. Yeah. And she ended up dying. But there is more to this to come. Oh, okay. So, due to her political commitment, Gerda had become a respected anti-fascist figure. On what would have been her 27th birthday, the French Mm. Communist Party gave her a grand funeral in Paris, drawing tens of thousands of people onto the streets. 
Although her photographs of the Spanish Civil War have been overshadowed by those of Robert Capa and other photographers, her pictures are an effective portrayal of individuals at war. Their graphic simplicity and emotional power make her small body of work memorable for of a complex war. Robert Capa went on to become the most famous of the two, and arguably the most famous war photographer of the 20th century entirely. Um... Both Gerda and Robert's brave and cavalier approach to getting pictures of the action would both cost them their lives. So mm-hmm. just like Gerda, Robert also died on the front lines after being blown up by a landmine in 1954, but he was 40 years old. Mm-hmm. She died at 27. Wow. So everything I just told you is the story that everybody wants everybody to know. Like, if you go online and you Google her, this is exactly what you're going to hear and see everywhere, because that's what people wanted. Like, it's almost like their, it's like their love story was the focus. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like Gerda and Robert, the best, you know, action war photographers out there on the front lines together, the romantic relationship. Like, it could have been a Disney movie, like, without a doubt. Right. So... There's some controversy surrounding this story because it's not entirely true. And I took like I'm making the most Gemini face right now. <laughs> Can't fucking wait. I mean, it is true to an extent, but a very large portion of the story was kept out. And it's super hard to find the full details on it. I've spent two weeks now trying to dig up as much of it as I could, and this is literally all I could find. Okay. So when Gerda took off on her little solo mission and rejected that fucking marriage and was like, bitch, I'm out, she ended up meeting the love of her life, which was not Robert Kappa. And she met... Well, so when she took off on this solo trip to Burnett, after she rejected Robert's marriage proposal, she ended up traveling with this Canadian journalist named Ted Allen, who was originally just her friend, and he was a traveling companion, and he eventually became her lover, and he was also the man who was with her when she died. So according to Ted Allen's diaries... They spent mornings, afternoons, and evenings together chasing stories. For three or four weeks, they were constant companions. And finally, one afternoon, we ended up in her her hotel room. Yes! And then he says, Kappa is my friend. He's my copain. Um, And said, nothing was settled. Everything was possible. So that's like the extent of what we know about their relationship because it's just what was written in his diaries Mm -hmm. obviously she couldn't come through with any type of info because she'd already passed but so i read this article about it and this is what how they described what really happened the day that she passed so on sunday july 25th uh what was his name yeah alan and gerda found themselves trapped in a foxhole near burnett as bombs fell around them relentlessly gerda kept on photographing often holding her camera high above her head to capture the carnage alan protected her with a film camera as 
shrapnel, yeah, as shrapnel and rocks fell around them. Then, as the Republican troops began pulling out of the area, Gerda and Ellen ran out of the foxhole and hitched a ride on the running board of a car while the planes continued to shoot from above. In the chaos, the car was rammed by an out-of-control Republican tank, and the couple were thrown into the dirt. Transported to a nearby field hospital, Gerda died from her injuries in the early hours of the following morning. She was 26 years old. Alan did not get to see her again. According to the nurse on duty, her last words were, did they take care of my camera? Wow. Um, so that whole situation of her and Alan being together during that entire solo mission that she did in the Battle of Brunette, and her being on the tank and dying, there's, like, no mention of him ever existing in almost every every article you read about it. Right. Because it interferes with that love story of Robert Kappa. Ugh, whatever! So it's just, like, basically eliminated. Um, so Gerda Tarot has now fully emerged from the shadows of Robert Kappa as an important photographer in her own right. Many photographs attributed to him... Um, have now been identified as hers. And there's this uh, quote from an interview that took place, and I forgot to write down who was being interviewed, but this is what they had said. She was a pioneering woman, both as a photographer and a political activist. She was very liberated for her time, putting her work before any more traditional female role. She had reinvented herself, but the Kappa myth was so strong that even when she died, some newspapers were described her as Robert Kappa's wife. Their lives were entwined, but she was very much her own woman, and he knew that. They both believed that their photographs could change the world and change the way people think, and they were right. Their photographs did. So, (laughs) that's Gerda Tarot. Oh my god, I love Um, her! But you know what it kind of reminded me of? Hmm. Yoko and John. Word. Just like yeah. this, you know, this relationship story that evolved into some like romanticism thought and explanation that they knew would grasp the like p- general public's attention. Right. And like, you know, that whole sham with Yoko was just, you know, let's make her an evil person because that sells. Like, that's, that's good info. That's what's going to like really fire up the public, you know? And I feel like with Gerda, it's like, her she was totally overshadowed by this man. He took advantage and like robbed her of all of her art her work, basically, and she almost never got credit for it. But let's just sell this as the most incredible romantic story during wartime where this couple, these Germans that were, you know, trying to gain power during a bad time in Europe and they're out here taking all these crazy photos and they're in love. Like that's that's the story of Gerda Tarot. Uh, I, I have, like, so much to say, but I feel <laughs> like I shouldn't say anything. It's just because I, like, what hasn't already been said, just this, that women are defined in relation to the men that they're with or the men that they're associated with. Like, the idea that newspapers referred to her as his wife when, A, she didn't fucking marry him, but also, B, even if she had, she's a person with a name and a career. She's not just somebody's wife. That's not her distinguishing factor. Yeah. Uh, so gross. I so want to know gross. more about Teddy Allen. And you know what? 
there's almost nothing about him. Really? Just, like, such minimal information about Teddy Allen. Well, especially since, I mean, this is kind of morbid, but since he was there when she died, or when she got injured, like, what? You know what I mean? And there's well, all this debate around what actually happened. Like, well, yeah. I mean, they were in a, like, fucking moat, hiding in the dirt while bullets were flying over their head and she's holding her camera high enough to catch it all and he's shielding the bullets yeah like the fact that i mean i have no doubt that the same scenario happened with robert several times where they're on the front lines but like the fact that ted allen like doesn't exist in the story of gerda tarot is insane and like who knows it could have easily just been like oh we're out here together and we could die and now we're having this love affair who who knows what it could have been like also who cares like they had a thing and it was great but like the fact that he's one of the only people that was a real eyewitness yeah and he it's like it's almost like he's hidden that story's hidden and i think it's even crazier being that like scholars today doing as much research as they have done believe that there was like um, some fucked up shit. Like, that that, that death might have been planned. It might have been intentional. Right. And it's like, you almost have to wonder if uh, hiding Ted Allen fl- falls into play with that. Right. Right. Like, keeping him quiet somehow. Yeah. Or like, yeah. maybe he's somebody that has the real story, but wow. he doesn't exist. Uh, we don't get to hear about him. I also just, God, like, photojournal, I mean, to this day, photojournalists die, like, that's not uncommon, and I just, if, if they're on the front lines, I, I just can't even, girl, no, catch me in the hotel bar, I, right, just, <laughs> well, and, like, I mean, the, the, um, like, the balls that you have to have yeah. at, like, 20, early 20s, leaving your entire family because you're pushed out of your country due to a Nazi leader, Right. You're being told, get the fuck out and say bye to your family members. And you're having to go make this new life. And the life that you choose is to be on the fucking front lines of war. So that you could take pictures of the reality of what's happening in hopes of, like, helping the general public understand politically where they stand. Like, this is what's fucking going on. I'm going to sacrifice my life in order to show you this. Yeah. And then, uh. so, if you do any research, YouTube, just any Google search, it, everything that pops up is the love story of Gerda and Robert. <laughs> what fucking ever. Right? Gerda. So, I, I mean, again, I feel like, especially with Frida, my last episode, right. my two women have some kind of rough, you know, they, they aren't, they aren't totally happy ending, but I mean, I, it's bringing to light every, I mean, not everyday struggles, but like, what women deal with. Yeah. Like, I mean, even if you just remove the entire her being on the front lines of war and how crazy that is, just the fact that her entire career was overshadowed by a man. Right. Like, the fact that her legacy is only tied to a romantic relationship. Right. Like, that's the point that I'm trying to make. Like, yeah, this fucking sucks, and I think she got robbed, and I'm so happy we're talking about her today. Yeah. But, like, those are the two points that I think are of value on the podcast, is, like, how did this happen? Like, all that she sacrificed, all that she went through to be a career woman and to help, like, make political change, and the only thing that the media wants us to really know about is her romantic relationship to Robert. 
That's such bullshit. And just like that Disney romanticism. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, she was like super accomplished and literally gave her life for this cause. But let's turn this on the love story. Like, <laughs> No. Well, also, the best part is that like the Ted Allen fucks up that Disney Channel original movie love story. Right. And like, I think that's a large part of why they hide it. Because it's like, no, like we can't have Ted Allen creating scandal. She's supposed to be in love. And they, you know, they don't even barely talk about her rejecting his marriage proposal. So it's like, he just fucked up everything, but she fucked it up too. She's I like, oh, you know, it's me and Robert. Haha, <laughs> guess again. Right. I was going to say, I'm so glad she got some non-Robert dick before she died. <laughs> like, right? that makes me, like, sorry, that's rude. But that makes me fucking happy. Like, I, Teddy Allen, are you? if you're listening, mimosasisterhood at gmail.com, we want to know your side of the story. If and you're you listening from Zanzibar. Been, you know he had to have been a great-ass guy because he was Canadian and Canadians are the best. I know. Oh, they're so nice. They're so nice. God bless him. Yeah. We don't even so, know him. He could be we like don't a, even know a him. A serial but... killer, but whatever. <laughs> what we know, we like. So, I'm sure it's going to be difficult to guess an yeah. astrological sign. Especially, yeah. you know, it, when they aren't in today's pop culture time and we don't really have much to talk about other than this really historical tale. Well... Is it, like, unbelievably out of line? No. My guess... I was... You want me to give you an element? Can I guess the element first? My first thought was that she was an earth sign. No. Okay, give me the element then. She's a fire sign. Okay, so I was thinking fire. It's just, like, I feel like fires don't play second fiddle to people, which is why I didn't... Um... That's hard. Aries? I mean, it could be any of them. I know. Aries? My guess would have been Aries, but yeah. she's not. Is she a Leo? She's a Leo. Okay. Her birthday was August 1st. And that I almost gave that away when I told you that Google did the doodle, because they did it on the anniversary <laughs> of her birthday. <laughs> You're, like, commemorating some kind of something. I'm like, a couple weeks ago, Google <laughs> did this thing where they celebrated something important. <laughs> Word. Yeah. Um, so she's a Leo. Okay. I mean, that, I like, I was thinking, I knew she was an air or water. I was thinking fire just because who the fuck else is going to go into a war zone. But again, playing second fiddle is not something fire signs usually no. do. But then again, it's the fucking 1930s. So but I knows? also wouldn't guess that a Leo would go into the war lines. Either. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. Aries, yes. Aries, yes. Aries, absolutely. Yeah. And maybe even a Sagittarius. But I wouldn't think Leo of the Although, three. Although, going to prison in a fucking ball gown <laughs> is very Leo. That's so true. That's so true. Well, and that's another cool point about her, was that she did come from, like, an upper middle class environment. She was wearing ball gowns and doing shit. Yet she was, like, spreading propaganda, anti-Hitler on the war right. lines. Like, all these things women weren't doing. You know, right. they were getting married, having kids, throwing ballroom parties, and she's right. fucking out there hiding in a ditch, standing on top of a tanker, taking pictures of people being killed. Well, and then also that she she escaped the concentration camp, essentially, 
And still, like, out of the frying pan and into the fire, right? And she's like, yeah, but I'm still going to hit up these front lines, though. Right? Yeah. Like, she had her chance to, like, run away, basically, which, like, I'm not not saying if you escape the concentration camp, that's running. Like, don't don't misinterpret that. But that she then willfully was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to put myself in danger anyway so I can get these stories out is just insane. That's awesome. Insane. I'm so glad you covered her. Isn't it cool? That's what the fuck is up. I love when you talk about women I don't know. And it's like, that's, uh, that's why our podcast is so big in the Philippines. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I loved it. Gerda Taro. Yeah, it's spelled G-E-R-D-A space T-A-R-O. Gerda Taro. Rest in peace, girl. Rest in peace, girl. I mean, you lived your fucking life. It was short, but, like, you put in every bit of effort to live it exactly how you wanted to. I hope she's taking it. And I'm just, like, so happy that we're talking about her today. Yeah, yeah. Like, how is this even a thing? Uh, The internet has some perks, for sure. It really does. Thanks, Google, even though you're probably, like, eavesdropping on all of our conversations at this point. Also, give a sponsorship. But thank you. That's actually a really good source of, like, that's a great place for us to find women. Right? And the you Google know what? Doodle. When I heard about this, I, re- I went back to the book that we both have to be like, I wonder if she's in this book. Is she? She wasn't. Uh, but that would have been so great if she was. Right. Especially, like, seeing it after the fact. I would have been stoked if she made it in that book, but she wasn't in there. Maybe Anne Chen can do a, a second volume. Right? And she, and we, her in we should tell Anne Chen that she is allowed to partner with us on her next book. <laughs> oh, she's allowed to partner. <laughs> We're really big in the Philippines, and like I don't know if you know, but we will bow down to you for this. Yay! Yay, Gerda Taro, bow down to you, lady. Happy, like, 107th birthday, dude. Mm. Right. Yeah, 108th. She just had her 108th birthday 26 days ago. Wow. Yeah, wild. All right, we ready? Ready. Wait, let me take a fucking big ass. This shit is so disgusting. I hate it. (laughs) Like, this is really. Like, if I can't. Oh, God. Well, I'm basically, like, drinking, like, uh, vanilla extract over here. So. Oh, God. I don't know what I'm drinking. Mine's equally horrible. Oh, it's not as bad as you slam it. It's like yeah. you can't sip it. You have to slam it. Okay. Okay. So I know I say this every fucking week, but I am so excited about my woman <laughs> because she is someone that almost no one knows by name, but almost everyone on earth or at least who is English speaking knows her work. They just don't know who she is and that she's the one who's done it. So she also does not get credit in the way that your girl Gerda didn't. And she is so important to my life on a daily basis because for those of you who don't know, I read tarot every day. Um, I have a YouTube channel and I also read it professionally for people. And the woman that I'm going to be talking about today, I think I know who it is. (laughs) (laughs) you ruined it melissa i don't actually know no you totally know who it is you know who it is because you know tarot is pamela coleman smith is she otherwise can i fucking finish (laughs) (laughs) i keep going 
Pamela Coleman Smith, otherwise known as the illustrator of the Rider Waite tarot deck that everybody knows. If you know a tarot deck, if you've ever seen a tarot card in your fucking life, it's been from this deck. Pro- millions, if not hundreds of millions of people know these images, but almost nobody knows that she is the illustrator behind them. Okay, do you need to say something? You look like yes. you're going to burst. I've been wanting to cover her, so I hate you. Um, well, like, I read tarot, though. Let I me know. do it. I well, uh, listen to this, guys. I was so stoked about her that I bought a book about her life and read the entire thing in preparation for this episode. Now, granted, it's humongous, and a lot of it is just, like, oh illustrations that she's done. It's, like, all, like, hundreds and hundreds of pieces of her artwork, of her poetry. It is, like, the definitive book of her work. And it was just published earlier this year, and it's amazing. It's called Pamela Coleman Smith, The Untold Story by Stuart R. Taplin, who is also the person who first published and widely produced that tarot deck, and I'll talk about that later. But if you guys are into tarot, check it out. It's a treasure. Okay, (laughs) super excited. So... Her full name is Corinne Pamela Coleman Smith. Later in her life, she also went by the nickname Pixie. And she was obviously an artist and illustrator. She was also a performer, an author, and a publisher. She was born in London in 1878 to American parents. She comes from a very artistic and well-to-do family. So her dad, I don't remember, I couldn't find out what he did. He was some kind of businessman. But her mom was a singer. She was an actress. Her mother's dad, so her grandfather, was a prominent bookseller and publisher. Her grandmother was a prolific author of children's books, especially fairy tales, which is significant because Pamela Coleman Smith illustrates like hundreds of fairy tales throughout her career. And her dad's mom was a direct descendant of Thomas Hooker, who was a founder of the Connecticut Colony. And her dad's dad was mayor of Brooklyn, New York, and eventually became a New York state senator. So very prominent, prestigious, well-to-do family with a lot of artistic background. She grew up in England until she was 10 years old. She moved to Jamaica at 10 when her dad took a job at the West India Improvement Company. So a lot of people erroneously say that she's Jamaican. She is not Jamaican. Um, and there's actually a lot of debate around her race, which I'll get to later, but she, she was not Jamaican. She just moved there when she was 10 and spent like eight years of her life there. Um, so from 10 to like 18 and 19, her life is kind of spread across England, Brooklyn, and Jamaica, especially Brooklyn. They have like a family homestead there. And because she's rich, she has a nanny who flies her over there all the time. Um, But while she's living in Jamaica, you can see throughout her artwork for her whole life that Jamaica had a huge influence on her art. Um, She ends up actually publishing multiple collections of Jamaican folktales and fairy tales throughout her life. And she performs uh, Jamaican folktales throughout her entire career. At the age of 15, so in 1893, she enrolls at the Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, which to this day is a very prestigious art institute. She studies drawing, painting, and she's pretty much known as a child prodigy. She's the first student to have her um, art featured in the Pratt Institute Monthly, which is the school's magazine. She, we don't know every person who influenced her during her time at Pratt, but we know for sure that she was deeply influenced by a teacher named Arthur Wesley Dow, 
who did not think painting should imitate nature. So he didn't agree with this idea that paintings or illustrations should look natural, that their angles and perspectives should be what you would see in the real world. He was much more about a flat kind of forced perspective, almost like somewhat cartoonish, which if you look at the tarot cards and if you look at any other of her works, you can see that that influence is there. Like, mm-hmm. she's not necessarily trying to make them look realistic. They look more fantastical. Yeah. And that was not because she was a shitty artist. That was a very deliberate artistic choice. She also, in her time at Pratt, studied Japanese yukioi prints, which were obviously a big influence. If you don't know the name, you know what they are. Like, they, you'll often see big tapestries of them. Similar style in the sense that it's all very flat. There's not a lot of perspective. There's a lot of dark black lines outlining everything and a lot of bright color in the lines. So if you ever look at those, the next time you see those tarot cards, all of her illustrations have a ton of black borders in them. It's very sharp borders. And that comes from that Yukioi um, influence that she got at Pratt. So she studies there for about three years. Um, She does not end up graduating because in 1896, she had to go back to Jamaica to care for her mother who ended up dying that same year. So she begins running her household, like her dad's household at the age of 18 after her mother passes away. And at that time she starts to really pursue a career as a professional artist. Her first feature exhibition is in New York in 1897 at the age of 19. And from that point forward, she has a career that spans About 20 years, she's mainly an illustrator, but she's kind of a jack-of-all-trades. So she does acting, she does costume design, she does poetry volumes, she creates Christmas cards, posters, set designs for theaters, all kinds of stuff. So she's sort of just like this overall super artistic person. Yeah. In 1899, Anansi Stories, which is a book of Jamaican folk tales that she wrote and illustrated, is published. It's the first publication ever of Jamaican folk tales, and she wrote them in Jamaican patois, which is like a slang, slangified English um, patois. And it got rave reviews. She ends up, as I said before, performing Jamaican fairy tales for the rest of her life. She does a lot of work for charity, performing the folk tales. Um, and that ends up being an influence for her throughout her career. And kind of fast forwarding quick, another big distinction of her art career is that in 1907, she becomes the first non-photographer to be featured in Alfred Stieglitz's Manhattan Gallery. So he was like this huge photographer of the time, and it was a really big fucking deal to be featured in his gallery, and she was the first non-photographer to do it. And I read that she also beat out um, the, the famous sculptor Rodin to get that exhibit. So she basically like beat out this big ass male artist to get and was it her jamaican like folklore like type art it was a it wasn't just there was some of that but it was mostly like just random illustrations and a lot of her work is very like whimsical so there's a lot of like a ton of women it's very women-centered and very fantastical kind of fairy tale looking um bright colors and sort of fantasy settings that was her Mm -hmm. aesthetic So she had a really contentious relationship with the public. So people reactions to her work and herself were super mixed. So some people really loved her stuff. Some people thought it was really immature and just like elementary and shitty. Um, And I'm going to, because I have this gigantic book, 
I'm actually going to reference it. Um, so there was this one quote. Somebody gave a review of a, uh, a magazine called The Green Chief that she ends up self-publishing later in her career. And this writer in this publication says that uh, the charm lies in the hand-colored prints, which are highly decorative, simple in treatment, and of a pleasant old-world flavor. The note erroneously comments that the magazine was published by a man, Elkin Matthews, who was listed on the title page as a seller. So they thought a dude had done it. A month later, another writer in the same publication corrects the error, gives her proper credit, and then says, I've been flipping through the dandified leaves of the ninth number of this little periodical, The Green Chief. But that reviewer continues to refer to her work as strange or dandified or whimsical. And it's just all of these sort of coded words. Like when they thought she was a male artist, they were like, this is great. This is beautiful. And then once they found out she was a female artist, they're like, oh, how strange. How dandified. (laughs) Like, oh, okay. Go fuck yourself. What does dandified even mean? I don't know. Because every time I've heard that word, I thought it like I've heard it in like a queer way. Like, a dandified huh. man was, like, a kind of gay guy. Like, a dude. Interesting. Yeah. So, I don't think, I don't think it's complimentary in those times. <laughs> Probably not. Dandified. It's, um, it's a little condescending. Okay. It's like, oh, you cute little girl. Like, yeah, doing yeah. your little fairy portraits. How charming. How quaint. Uh, that's how they all talked. People refer to her as being really strange and just different. So her friend, uh, Ellen Terry, who was like a famous actress of the time, is the person who nicknamed her Pixie. And once she nicknamed her that, Pamela Coleman Smith went by Pixie for the rest of her life. And she named her Pixie because she was just a weird little Pixie. And if you see, like, she kind of dressed like a Victorian Stevie Nicks. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, I But, can like, see. a lot of shawls. She wore turbans. She'd wear, like, jewels on her face. She'd wear big, long beads and pearls and stuff. Like, she had a very witchy vibe to her. Also... There is this huge debate. So I, there are people online who make the claim that she is a woman of color. I, sorry, y'all, I cannot find a single thing that confirms that she is a woman of color. Like, this book is so well-researched. There's literally photocopies of her birth certificate. There's photocopies Dang. of her death certificate. There's photocopies of her passport application. Like, they have the goods. Everything says she's just Anglo. Like, she was American parents, born in England. If you look, there are a few surviving photographs of her. I mean, like, she's obviously light-skinned. I'm, like, I don't know not going to make assumptions based on her facial features what she is but for some reason it's become this circulating online thing that she was a woman of color but it seems to be that that's not the case at all um however during her time a lot of people would refer to her as looking exotic they would refer to her as looking sometimes they would call her colored so this is from um one of the Yates, so uh, there's an Irish family, William Butler Yates. He's like the most famous Irish poet ever. She ended up doing a lot of work with that family. John Yates was his father. And this is a quote from him after meeting Pamela Coleman Smith. Pamela Smith and father are the funniest looking people, the most primitive <laughs> Americans possible, but I like them. 
Her work, whether a drawing or the telling of a piece of folklore, is very direct and original, and therefore sincere. She looks exactly like a Japanese. (laughs) Nanny says this Japanese appearance comes from constantly drinking iced water. You what? <laughs> 1899, baby. You at first think her rather elderly. You are surprised to find out that she is a very young girl. So, uh, that's just one quote. There are other quotes in this book where people talk, again, like they use the word colored, and they just make references to her exotic appearance. I, I don't think she looks that exotic, but I guess for England in 1899, she looks something new. So... I the most that I know about her is what I've read in the little tiny booklet that comes in the tarot card deck. Okay. And I do remember them referencing her as a Jamaican woman that lived in England. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the opposite. She was a, like an English-American an English, woman who yeah. lived in Jamaica. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, as far as I can tell, she's not a woman of color or anything about white. However people of her time like often thought she was and so whether or not she was she was treated that way by lots of people during her time which i'm sure was really shitty because people of color don't even get treated well today and this was the early 1900s what is this motherfucker talking about ice water (coughs) like that To me, that is most funny is that that entire quote, he's basically talking shit about them and making them sound stupid and primitive. And I'm like, oh, yeah, so primitive, not as sophisticated as a man who believes that you can look, quote, like a Japanese by drinking iced water. (laughs) Sorry, they weren't as smart as you. You fuckwad. Oh, my God. (laughs) Also, just like a Japanese. A Japanese. Okay. Cool, bro. Cool story, bro. Oh, man. Yeah. So she had a lot of, like, people were, like, she didn't get, I think, quite the credit and the fame and the money she deserved, in part because she was a woman and in part because some people thought she was non-white. So I think it was just, like, across the board not good for her. So, I mean, thank God she wasn't gay. Well, <laughs> well, uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. No one, no, there's, that's not confirmed, but we could talk about that later. We will get there. Back into the timeline a little bit. So in 1899, so two years after her mother passes away, her dad unexpectedly dies. And at that point in her life, she relocates to England and she'll bounce back to New York sometimes for art shows and shit. But for the most part, she's in England for the rest of her life. And I can't really find like she never seems to return to Jamaica after her mother passes away. It sounds like she's pretty much out. So she moves to England and she's like got a life, girl. She is straight up. Well, one, she's got whatever she she inherited from her father's passing so she's got a little bit of money at that time and she's hanging out with like all the cool people at that time she's hanging out with bram stoker which was the author of dracula Uh, as i said before william butler yates who was like the creme de la creme of irish poets uh i forget 
what composer it was, but she was, like, friends with famous composers. She was kicking it with, like, the high... Anybody who was cool and in the art scene in the early 1900s in England, they were kicking... Yeah, she was there. So she ends up Jack Yates, not to be confused with his Japanese-hating dad, John Yates, although I'm sure he wasn't any better. (laughs) So one of his sons, Jack Yates, ends up working on a magazine with her called A Broadsheet from 1902 to 1903, And the following year, she starts her own magazine called The Green Sheaf because she either can't get her shit published or she gets published and then all of the publishers basically like steal all her money. So it's something that she talks a lot about. And it was funny because I was thinking about this a lot when I was researching Kate Bush from the last episode, how Kate Bush was like, fuck this shit. I'm just going to start my own production company and build my own studio so I can have my own shit. Mm-hmm. Pamela Coleman Smith did the equivalent of that in 1903. She built her own press so she could publish herself and other authors who were having problems getting published. Crazy. Yeah. So that magazine. Wait, hmm. Does that mean that's all we have to do? We can like create our own marketing company. We're doing it. <laughs> we're doing it, Peter. We're doing it. It's a hook reference, guys, if you haven't seen the movie. You're doing it, Peter. We're doing it. That's why I love her fucking story. Like these women who are just like, you know what? We're just going to we're just going to buy a $10 domain and start this fucking podcast. <laughs> Fuck this shit. Okay, let's talk about how she became involved with the tarot. So, as I said, she looked really witchy. It was not just a look. It was an act. She was in it to win it. So, W.B. Yeats, that poet that she was kicking it with, He was super involved with what is called the Order of the Golden Dawn, which a lot of us know about. It was Aleister Crowley's whatever, Wiccan. It wasn't Wiccan, but like a cult love child. And W.B. Yeats is the head of of the Isis Urania Temple. Apparently this order had a bunch of different temples in America and England, and he was the head of a temple in London. Uh, She joined that temple just like this makes me laugh sorry because i'm kind of witchy and i shouldn't laugh at this shit but there are different degrees of initiation in the golden dawn so there's something like seven different degrees of initiation you go through these ceremonies and they give you like sacred knowledge or some shit she made it to the second degree of zelator which like which like who made up that name (laughs) who made up that name zelator seriously like I don't know. That just made me... I was like, what nerdy ass... Like, was Dungeons and Dragons around in the 1900s? Because, like, what nerd oh came God, up with that that's name? that's so good. So that temple ends up splintering into two factions. There's drama in the temple. And one of them wants to go, like, way more occultist, and they follow W.B. Yeats. But then there was another sect that wanted to do more, like, Christian Judeo imagery and hermeticism. So, like, still keeping in that, like, Judeo-Christian influence. And that side went with Arthur Edward Waite, who commissioned her to then draw the images for the tarot deck that we all now know and love. Um, And around this time, she converts to Roman Catholicism. And we think that's why, because that was the kind of like, that was where that sect was going. So Arthur Edward Waite commissions her to design the tarot. The deck is completed and published in 1909. It's not clear how much direction he gives her. So it sounds like, so for those of you who don't know tarot, there's two pieces to most tarot decks. There's what's called the major arcana, which are 22 cards that are more, they represent more of like a story. You can think of it as a hero's journey. 
and each card represents a stage along that journey. And then the rest of the but cards... also, com- uh, since people probably don't know, explain how that correlates to a normal deck of cards. So they well, get, like, a mental visual. Yeah, so then the... So I was just getting to that. So the, the rest of the deck is composed of four suits... So it's in most decks. It's in the Arthur in the Arthur Edward Wade version. It's the cups, the pentacles, this um, the wands, and the swords. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. And they correspond with like the four suits of a normal playing deck. So the spades, the hearts, the clubs, and the diamonds. Yeah, it's been a long time since I played cards. And then the queens and the the so. Uh, in the in the tarot there's an extra card so there's pages there's knights there's queens and there's kings so there's an extra court card baby back page baby back page (laughs) (laughs) bitch fun fact she based the illustrations of the court cards on her friends no way. Because she had all these theater friends because she was acting and set designing and costume designing, and a lot of them were based on her friends. Wow. Yes, they were based on real people. And in this book, they actually show photographs of one of her friends, and you could tell like she obviously was the inspiration for some of the Queen's cards. Oh my gosh, that's great. Yeah, super fun. What made this... So this is where she gets like big-ass credit for the tarot. He seems to have given her some direction on the major arcana. It sounds like he was like, here's what I want for each card. Make it happen. But the minors card, so the four suits, there's no indication that he instructed her on that. And she revolutionized the tarot by giving them hyper-illustrated minor cards because most of the minor cards in old tarot decks were just what are called pip cards. So like you would see on a normal playing deck, it would just be like nine swords, you know, uh, four cups. There wouldn't be any real imagery. But she revolutionized it by creating pictures for each and every card. And it makes the tarot way easier to read. I don't know how I would read the cards if there were just like four cups on there. I'd be like, go drink four cups of wine. I don't fucking know. Um, And pretty much every deck, I shouldn't say every deck, but hundreds, if not thousands of tarot decks that have been designed and published since this deck are modeled on this deck. To the point where a lot of them are just straight up cop in the imagery they're just redoing what she already did um so even if you are familiar with a tarot deck and somehow in some weird ass way you've never seen any of her illustrations you've seen them through other tarot decks because they all rip her off basically well she was number one right yeah i mean there was tarot's been around for hundreds of years but in terms of like what we think of as modern tarot she made it basically but she got no credit for it the i now call and most people now call that deck the smith rider weight they put her name in front. She fucking made the cards. But for a hundred plus years, it was known as the Rider Weight Tarot with no indication of her at all. However, if you look at each and every card, there's a little, <gasps> I forgot the word. Oh, there's a symbol. I'm having a brain fart. There's a symbol at the bottom of each card and it's her initials. So it's PSC, kind of like all looped together. You can see them on all of her cards and all of her artwork has her. Why can't I think of what that, not icon, it'll come to me. Not a coat of arms, there's a word for that. Anyway, so it's funny because 
No, neither Arthur Edward Waite nor Pamela Coleman Smith thought that that was going to leave such a legacy. They had no idea what they were creating was going to reverberate for hundreds of years. To her, it was just like a project she worked on. There was nothing super significant about it, but it's now why she's not completely in obscurity. That's like the main thing that has continued on. But real quick, just to close out kind of what her life was like before I wax philosophical on the tarot. If she kind of disappears by 1919, she's kind of out. She does some work during World War One when it first breaks out in 1914. She does a lot of charity work, so she'll do like poster illustrations for different charities. Um, she does a lot of work for women's suffrage. So she was out there like trying to get women the right to vote in England. She also made it a point to center women in her stories and fairy tales. And she would rewrite some fairy tales to make them like more feminist, essentially. Like, I don't even think that was the word she would use, but basically like rewriting things. So women had power, women had the upper hand and they weren't just like these useless little princesses. Um, And she also was... And when she had her publishing, Green Chief Publish, blah, 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 blah. When she had her um, publishing company up, is what I was trying to say, she made it a point to to publish, like, female artists. So she was all about the ladies. And so I, no one knows if she was fucking, who she was fucking, but we know she never got married. We know she never had children. She never seemed to, from what anything I can read, be involved with men or women. She had a lot of close friendships with women, but she also seemed to have a lot of close friendships with men. We do know that in the early 1920s, she buys property in Cornwall after she inherits some money from her dead uncle, and her friend Nora Lake moves in with her, and they live together. But I don't know that that's so much a lesbian That could have been a gay thing. That could have been them just being like, hey, girl, like, we're going to bunk up. I really don't know. Wasn't there a term for that? Boston marriages? (gasps) I don't know that. Tell me. You don't know that? No, I've never heard that. Why do I know it? You know what? That's because that was my, uh, all of my uh, sexuality studies from San Francisco City College. Why is it called Boston? No, there was a a full-blown term, and I, I can't quote what time period this occurred, but you know back in the day where, like, all the middle upper middle class rich people would send their daughters to boarding school. Yeah. And it would be like religious based sometimes. Mm-hmm. So like all the like women that like ran the school had to like dorm up together and it turned mm-hmm. out they were all lesbians and they were like baby back on each other and they called that the bo- they called it the Boston marriage. I love it. And so it was like it was a bunch of women that were in their twenties during this time and they would live together and sometimes they had like re- like male romantic relationships also occurring like in their lives but they were bunked up with other women and they were usually teachers or they were in like some type of profession where they were like overseeing other people so they were having to like board board up together. And this, it turned out that they were, they call them Boston marriages. I love it. I can't believe you've never. I can't believe that either. Well, I, it's totally when I dropped out of SF State and then went to City College for a while. That's where I really got all of my, uh, my life in the lesbo world. So I, I, I mean, God knows I might've read about it in some class and I was just like high and drunk and forgot about it. <laughs> it's like very likely that happened. Maybe. <laughs> but I feel like I would have remembered that. I'm so glad you taught me Boston marriage. Yeah. Google it later. I don't know. 
Honestly, like, I don't know which scenario I love more. That she was a secret lesbian or she just straight up didn't give a fuck and, like, didn't want to get married. I, I mean, love both of those scenarios make me super happy. It's probably, I mean, I don't, well, that's how the Boston marriage worked out. It was usually women that were bunkering up with other women because they were in a career world where they were, like, not shacking up with their husbands yet. And they were in this, like, limbo until that happened. And then, lo and behold... They were really limboing. Ooh, the lesbian <laughs> limbo. The limbo. Oh my god. Uh, the, the bimbo limbo. Yeah, that was it. The lesbo limbo. Yeah, so she never gets married. She never has kids, and who knows exactly what happened, but she got her life. Uh, she ends up having to get rid of the property she buys in Cornwall. She leaves it to Nora Lake. Um, so whether or not they were lovers, they were definitely really close friends because she gives her her property and she ends up settling, uh, Pamela Coleman Smith ends up settling in Bude, Bude, I don't know, it's somewhere in England and she dies peacefully in her sleep in 1951 at the age of 73. Um, she leaves in her will and testament, she leaves everything to Nora, but her debts were so high that there was nothing left. Like, she was still in debt even after all of her property was sold off. And she's – so because of that, she's buried in an unmarked grave. So nobody knows where she's buried. Oh, because, my God. Yeah, because she couldn't afford a tombstone, and tombstones are expensive as fuck. And she yeah. didn't have any surviving family. Which leads me into Stuart Kaplan. Stuart R. Kaplan, who is the founder of U.S. Game Systems, who in the 19, I think, 70s acquired the rights to this tarot deck – and started publishing it, and he is like a Pamela Coleman Smith fanatic, and I gotta give it up to him. He's the author of this book that I bought, and I mean, like, she would be in obscurity if it wasn't for him and his wow. commitment to getting her. He has bought tons of her artwork. He's put out ads in papers in England. I said, like, there's some of them are featured in this book. There was one he published in 2006 where he's asking anybody for any information they have on where she was buried. He's just like obsessed with this woman's history. Um, he actually owns, so there's this portrait on the front of this book, which is one of her more favorite, or excuse me, famous portraits. He got that in auction. I don't know how much he paid for it, but he threw a fuck ton of money down on that just to own her portrait, like super, super about her. And then, oh, I didn't write it down, but I think it was in the 2000s. He actually published through U.S. Game Systems a Pamela Coleman Smith commemorative deck that kind of like rewrote history and corrected what had been previously published and gave her credit. And from that point forward, people started calling it the Smith Rider Wait. So got to give credit to the yeah. to the males where credit is due for whatever reason. He ride, he rides really hard for her. And I wanted to end on a quote from this book that I really fucking loved about the legacy of Pamela Coleman Smith. And it made me also think of us and any create and any creators out there who are struggling. This is from um, is written in 1959 by tarot scholar Gertrude Moakley. She said the set of mystical tarot cards seemed at the time a mere trifle to both Pamela Coleman Smith and Arthur Edward Waite compared with their more ambitious projects. Yet their tarot is one of the few published works by either of them that has remained almost continuously in print for nearly 50 years. So now 100. Toward the end of his life, Waite did come to realize that of all his monumental works, all his activities, this little tarot was one of the most fruitful. Yet at the time he was doing the actual work, it was little more than a delightful avocation, 
how often this happens, the little thing which is just tossed off turns out to be the epitome of all its author stood for, still alive and fresh when all the rest of his work has begun to smell of dried lavender. Oh, wow. So, yeah, she had no idea, and by the time, like, she died penniless in an unmarked, like, buried in an unmarked grave in pretty much total obscurity, and her illustrations are world famous, and like I said, millions, if not hundreds of millions of people are familiar with them. I make money off of them when I read tarot, like, big fucking ups to Pamela Coleman Smith. She is 100% an icon for me, and... If you are at all into tarot or even just into kick-ass women, check out Pamela Coleman Smith, The Untold Story by Stuart R. Kaplan. It's a beautiful book for the illustrations alone. Um, You should plug your own tarot right now. Hey, so I, good call. CJ Gemini Tarot is my business name. You can find me, my YouTube channel is becoming active as of September. I didn't post on it for a long time, but I'm back. So CJ Gemini Tarot on YouTube. You can also find me on the Instagram under CJ Gemini Tarot. Yee! Woo! Before we talk about anything else, do you think she was a lesbo? Um, of course. Of course. <laughs> Match. I mean, I wouldn't say a lesbo, but I wouldn't doubt that she dappled around. Right. I'm like, she had to have had sex with some. I mean, maybe she was asexual. Who knows? Well, I think also, so when I was studying Boston marriages, this was when I was literally in a class called Gay and Lesbians uh, Literature, and it was with my favorite teacher I've ever had named Ardell Thomas. Shout out to Ardell. Um, She was killing the game at SF State. Or, sorry, that was uh, actually at San Francisco City College is where I took all these classes. But the biggest thing that we studied, especially about Boston marriages, was not so much that these women were lesbian. It really uh, was about the fact that females in general are more sexually fluid than males are. Or at least they are, because women are always um, uh, sort of coined as submissive and passive and we play these feminine, delicate roles, we're more susceptible to fall victim to sexuality. Where, like, men have to, like, withhold this, like, masculine, strong, you know, thing that, like, oh, I'm a heterosexual. Like, no man out there could ever break that boundary. That, like, almost because women were represented this way, it allowed them to feel more comfortable about being sexually fluid. I also like the idea, too, because I've had this with with like gay male friends especially the idea of intimate friendships where you're not sexually intimate with one another but for all intents and purposes you're basically partners in like every other way you're very emotionally intimate with each other and you like live together and you're almost like de facto spouses like i'm super stoked at the idea that she's a lesbian i'm also super stoked by the idea that regardless of whatever her relationship to nora lake was like they were just fucking down for each other and they, they were basically a couple, whether or not they were banging it out. Yeah. I think that's super cool. Yeah. And, you know, that also falls in line with Gertrude Stein. Didn't she have, like... Or even Oprah. Like, doesn't everybody always <gasps> try and call Oprah a lesbian because of her Because I don't, I don't believe she is, but because she is Gail. Gail is, like, yeah, her Gail. ride or die BFF. 
But I think ride that those are very common among female relationships. Totally. And I think that's how Boston marriage came to be, where it might have originally never been a sexual thing. Right. It could have just been a very intimate bonding experience between two women. Right. And, like... When you're alone and there's no men around, I don't know, I guess potentially that could develop, and when you're already an underrepresentative person in society, it's just like, meh. Right. Well, and also, like, the freedom of not having to deal with men's bullshit. Like, realizing, for real, like, realizing you have another option, you're like, oh, fuck that. Like, you know... Yeah. All right. Pamela Coleman. Maybe gay. Maybe not. Who maybe, knows? Yeah. Who knows? Maybe both. But a fucking legend and a and a legacy that that impacts my life on a daily basis. So big ups to her. So one real quick thing. Like again, the only bit I've ever read about her was the little pamphlet that's in the tarot deck, and I read that, and I remember it being like eyeballs wide, jaw dropped, like, oh my god, I can't believe this fucking woman's life. And it's a very, very brief, like, couple paragraph description, but I do remember it ending, like, in a very intense way, explaining that she, like, kind of passed away with no family, no friends, and in, like, complete poverty. Yeah. Is that, like, how intense they describe it in the book? I mean, it's... (laughs) I don't think they make it sound as sad as that but essentially because i think they're really trying to honor her but yeah essentially i wouldn't say she died with no friends but yeah she didn't really have any family or her family was all dead she was out of money as i said she was poor and died in an unmarked grave but it's funny she wasn't living in poverty she was rich poor so she was living off of like all of these things she had inherited and she was living with a ton of debt. She wasn't like in a little hut somewhere. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? She was rich poor. She had a ton of debt, but she was living in like decent housing. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, yeah, she by the end had become a bit hermetic and she actually built a chapel on her property that she ended up giving to Nora Lake. So she became very religious uh, and she kind of stopped doing art and she kind of just retreated from the world um yeah like she yeah she died with no money she died with no fame and she died with no family yeah fuck like i don't even know what to think of her zodiac sign you know what though that's funny i feel like there's so much there's so much in this book and she's done so much that i gave a super super brief overview of her life because there's just so much information i feel like it's really obvious so is she an earth sign no Okay. I feel like she seems very grounded and, like... Well, I... So, she's an artist. She's a fucking weirdo. She's, like, a witch who was in the Golden Dawn. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think she self-identified... I don't think she self-identified as a witch, but you get the I point. Mean, I I would have to say Aquarius or Pisces. Aquarius. Okay. Aquarius. February... Was it February 14th? Did I make that up? That's Valentine's Day. Now I have to check my notes, guys. February 16th. Ah. Yep. She's an Aquarius. I guess that's not surprising. For some reason, though, I was getting... Okay, I can't see you, and it's weirding me out. Oh, sorry. My (laughs) my wine's in the way. (laughs) Sorry. You can talk to my wine glass. (laughs) I was getting just, like, a very grounded, like... I don't know. I was just getting something earthy out of her. Interesting. Yeah, I, uh, she's... 
I feel like I, I mean, like I really did it like again, very broad strokes. Yeah. The amount of work she did, she was seen as being very weird. Like if you read this book, you'd be like, oh yeah, she's fucking Aquarius. No doubt about it. The fact that she went by the nickname Pixie, like, I don't know. Yeah. So, still to this day, we're at, like, episode nine, I think. Like, we have covered the same zodiac signs over and over and over and over and over again. The same incredible How people have the same signs. Who have we not covered? Have we had we a Pisces? We've never covered a Pisces. We've never covered a Capricorn. How have we not covered a Capricorn? We've never covered a Scorpio, except for we guessed that the Irish queen was a Scorpio. Right, okay. Or no, wait, wasn't... No, Miss Major was a Scorpio. Miss Major was a Scorpio. Yeah. Okay, we've never covered a... Cancer? No, we've covered Cancer. Whoever I... I think I've done a Cancer. Okay. Oh, I think Frida was a Cancer. Frida was a Cancer. Yeah, Yeah. I thought she was a Scorpio. So we haven't covered Pisces or Capricorn. I cannot believe, like, I cannot believe Capricorn, because they're such outstanding high achievers. That's very strange. I think if we covered more politicians... Exactly what I was just going to (laughs) say. I'm like, we haven't covered Capricorn, because we haven't haven't discussed politicians, like, IT engineers, like, people... Doctors. Doctors. Like, we haven't covered... We need to start, like, probably teetering into some more different professions. But that's, I don't want to cover those people because I want to cover the people that we don't know. No, I want to cover the, the weirdos. That's who I want to cover. That's true. I'll do I, like a more, I will seek out a Capricorn because I love Capricorn No, so I know. I, I feel like I want to find, I'm shocked we haven't covered Pisces. They definitely fall in the realm of women that we pick. That's I, so I, weird. Yeah. I don't think, I think you're right though. I don't think we have. We have not. We definitely haven't. Uh-huh. We've uh-huh. covered a shitload of Leo, a shitload of uh, uh, Aquarius, and a shitload I don't, of Gemini. I don't... Yeah, we have. I feel like we haven't done... Have we had a Libra? No. I don't think we've had a Libra either. We've never had a Libra. Which is also interesting, because I that feel like strange. a lot of entertainers and stuff, like, showy people are Libras. But they're not the people changing the world. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Woo! I didn't say that. Woo! <laughs> i'm not disagreeing with anything (laughs) yeah oh my god all right well i'm gonna make it a mission to try and i'm not gonna like seek out a zodiac sign and be like who are all these people but i'm gonna try to do my best to pick somebody that might be branch out into a different different zode yeah a we need to get zone. some caps up in here, dude. I know, we where, need are a we, cap. where are they at? Where my caps at? From the front to back. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, so good. Uh, yeah. So that's. Um, I did want to end the episode. So this is, I guess, a woman of the week shout out for me personally. I don't think Melissa has one for this week, but. Um, this has been a long time coming, actually, but I was waiting for the right episode to do it. And this is totally free promotion, but I had to share this story. So I am an avid fan of mod cloth, which is funny because it's so hot in New Orleans that all I can wear is booty shorts and tank tops. But I have a closet full of like really cute retro clothes that one day I will wear when it's not 95 degrees. And uh, about two or three months ago, I was doing a return on mod cloth, but I had deleted my Facebook. 
And my Facebook was linked with my ModCloth account, so I couldn't do anything. So I had to call their helpline, and I was talking to this girl, and her name was Rebecca, and she was super sweet and super cute, and it was like a Saturday, and she's working from home. And I was like, I have to do this return. I deleted my Facebook, and her and I get to talking, and she's like, oh my god, I just deleted my Facebook. And we just started talking about how much we hate Facebook, and how (laughs) excited we were that we had deleted it. And maybe like a week or two later, I get this box in the mail from Modcloth and I hadn't ordered anything. And I was like, what the fuck is this? So I opened the box and there's like confetti and like tissue paper and it looks like a gift. I'm like, what the fuck is this? So I opened the box and inside is like a Polaroid camera, like the old school Polaroid cameras. I guess they're new. They're in style again. Yeah, they're back. They're back. And it came with this card that I will quickly read. Hi, CJ. She is my... She actually is... I almost said my government name, but it's... uh, it's my real name. It's Colleen. But she says, this is Rebecca from ModCloth. We recently spoke on the phone about updating your email address because you had closed down your Facebook account like me. Well, we started a fun new activity here called Surprise and Delight. When we have an awesome interaction, we send a gift to that customer. I thought this was the perfect gift to send you now that you are no longer chained to social media. I hope that you love the camera and now you can just hand a selfie to a friend. LOL. Um, take care and enjoy. It was nice talking with you. So she sent me this like cute girl, Rebecca, sent me a fucking Polaroid camera from ModCloth. So my shout so out is cute. to her. I don't know how to get a hold of her, but I'm going to tell her I'm giving her a shout out in this episode. Uh, Rebecca, share with your friends and please, please get us ModCloth sponsorship. And like non-sponsored shout out to ModCloth for having super cute clothes and doing shit like that. I really love that. Also, if she wants to send another camera, I am in need of a Polaroid. Oh my god, can I, real quick, so like a year or so ago, I was walking my old roommate's dog around the bayou, and they were having like a, it was a Sunday, and they were having dog church by the bayou, and there were literally priests blessing dogs, and this fucking dog, my roommate's old dog, super dumb, super cute, super sweet, like... Lucy, so satanic. This dog, sweet dog, but she was so strong and so stupid that you couldn't control her. And I was like, yes, this dog needs Jesus. Please bless this dog. (laughs) She ended up like attacking a bunch of dogs because she's satanic. And they took a Polaroid picture of her and I together. And it was super cute. These little kids, I mean, maybe they're like seven, eight, nine years old, come running out after they take a Polaroid picture with their dogs. And this one kid says to another kid, look, it's a photo from the olden times. Oh, my God. And I was like, God is not here. And I left. (laughs) I was like, the olden times? When I was eight years old, like, we were dying to get Polaroid cameras. Uh, and we're dying for them again at 20 yeah. fucking 30 years old oh my god Out of I, I literally have already pulled up polaroid cameras on amazon right now how much are they like are they 85 dollars damn Modcloth represent that's why i'm saying tell her to send me one <laughs> uh anything else we need to to say to cap off this episode Ugh, i don't think so Polaroid, sponsor us. Are you listening? Yes. Anybody that wants to sponsor us, we're available. Please. We pretty have, much uh, <laughs> pretty much anything you're selling, we will sell for you. <laughs> this is true. It's so true. Preference for wine, tampons, uh, 
Yeast infection treatments. Polaroid food. cameras. We always like food. Mm-hmm. Big one. We like food. Yeah. Um, Meal delivery service. We're just giving you guys ideas. Yeah. For the for those of you who are listening to us and yes. want to sponsor us. Any kind uh, of like businesses in the Philippines, man. Give us yeah. a give us a shout out. Also any UTI remedies mm-hmm. were available for that. Pregnancy tests, anything like that. <laughs> IUDs, like just let us know. <laughs> let us know. Oh god. All right. Well, thanks guys for tuning in. Uh subscribe, review, drop tell us a line at mimosa sisterhood at gmail.com. Tell your friends. <laughs> and that yeah, that's it. That we need to sign off. I know. All right. Let Until then. Happen. Bye. Right. Goodbye.